Rustam El Shai, Salman and Christian staff opened this year's Stroke Society Australasia Conference with intracebral hemorrhage, the cause and does the cause matter. They spoke to Carmen Leif Jenkins, managing editor of the International Journal of Stroke. So I uh, started the session from a clinical practice perspective and uh, was pointing to the problem that at the current stage we do not have a commonly agreed classification of hemorrhages and uh, as a consequence we do not have a defined uh, diagnostic algorithm to work up patients coming in with acute hemorrhage, uh, finding out what the actual cause of the initial hemorrhage was. Yes, I, I think what Christian's describing is extremely important and extensive investigation is the only way to understand the cause of hemorrhage better. Um, that has all sorts of implications for uh, ongoing research studies in that um, we need to find out what the best way is to identify underlying causes of brain hemorrhage, what the best strategy of investigation is, and in particular we probably need comparative research studies comparing one strategy versus another to work out not only what is the most effective way of detecting abnormalities, but also the most cost-effective approach to doing so because investigation is definitely expensive. So at the current stage, patients admitted for hemorrhagic stroke-to-stroke -stroke units are often labeled, it's a hypertensive hemorrhage or it's a primary hemorrhage, and then often a follow-up CT scan is done, and uh, this is where the uh, diagnostic tools stop. But uh, actually the situation is much more complex because if you systematically try to detect an underlying disease, you have to do more imaging studies. That includes then also MR imaging and in some patients even a catheter angiography. And so based on uh, growing experience, um, we think that up to 20% of the acute hemorrhages coming into the hospital may actually have an underlying disease that needs immediate attention. Examples for such diseases are ruptured aneurysms, ruptured malformations, but also inflammatory diseases, venous thromboses, fistulas in the brain. Uh, all these pathologies need immediate attention because uh, their existence as an underlying pathology may have an impact on further patient management and patient outcome. So one of the, one of the opportunities we've taken in Scotland is to compare the outcome after hemorrhage of unknown cause versus the outcome after hemorrhage of known cause. So taking arteriovenous malformations as an example, um, we've, we found that in contrast to the, so -called out, the outcome of so-called prim primary intracerebral hemorrhage, where approximately 40% of people are dead within a month and 60% of those people are dead within a year, on average, uh, only one in 10 people die after an, uh, after an AVM-associated hemorrhage. And when you look at the outcome um, after AVM-associated hemorrhage, even adjusting for all known prognostic factors that predict poor outcome, AVM as an underlying cause of hemorrhage itself uh, independently predicts a more benign prognosis. So I think that that makes their identification important for the, pro for the purpose of understanding outcome. 
And if you go on to not only look at the severity of the hemorrhage, but also to look at the risk of hemorrhage happening again, you again see differences between primary intracerebral hemorrhage and AVM-associated intracerebral hemorrhage where the recurrence risk of primary intracerebral hemorrhage is approximately 2% per year, whereas with AVMs, it can range from 4.5% per year to 34% per year, depending on where it is in the brain and what its anatomy is. So I think that's one of the examples uh, that helps illustrate why it's important to better understand cause, though I entirely agree with Professor Stapp's view that we should be abolishing the term primary intracerebral hemorrhage altogether and understand all of its constituent causes as well as we understand AVM-associated hemorrhage. So what the two of us have been proposing this morning is a kind of a paradigm shift. To give you an example is um, if we had defined uh, ischemic stroke, brain infarction, as just primary infarction, we would probably not have a meeting today because nobody would have looked for the various causes that make not only our clinical life more interesting, but that also gives us specific uh, guidance in um, treatment, in, in disease-specific patient management. And uh, we both think that we have to apply the same attitude to intracerebral hemorrhage. All were put into the same bag for the moment, but uh, we have to get uh, used to applying systematic studies and developing a systematic patient workup in our clinical routine. So plans for the future include uh, more systematic studies of the uh, various underlying diseases. Uh, Rasta Malshay Salman already mentioned uh, arterial venous malformations. We've been discussing cerebral cavernous malformations, then of course uh, aneurysms, venous thrombosis, and uh, all these diseases need specific attention, have specific treatment algorithms, need specific evaluation of their risk-benefit ratio of treatment. Sometimes treatment may even be interventional, and uh, we are not sure at this point in what cases these interventions have a definite benefit for the patient, in what percentage we better uh, make a step away from, from invasive management policies. So a lot of work to be done. <laughs> and I think that imaging is definitely part of the answer. Um, and it can be enormously helpful to identify early and effectively um, some of the known underlying causes of hemorrhage. But there's undoubtedly a lot that's not known about the cause of hemorrhage where um, a specific abnormality is, is hard to identify on imaging. And I think there are two reasons for us to look at brain tissue in, in patients. Firstly, um, to better understand cause in those people who we cannot identify a really obvious abnormality uh, on using imaging. And secondly, to also better understand what the subtle abnormalities we do see on imaging actually are on the brain. Because there's no doubt that as imaging technology advances, fewer and fewer people have a normal background in their brain. We de we're detecting more and more abnormalities, but the pathological significance of those abnormalities is uncertain. So I foresee an era in the future where um, we move to looking at brain tissue again. We better understand the abnormalities we see on imaging, and then we can come full circle and just rely on imaging much more when we now in at a time when we actually understand what the imaging abnormalities mean. 
Well, maybe there are also ongoing studies at this point that may change patient management in the future. One of the uh, ongoing and soon, uh, well, probably relevant studies is the Interact 2 trial. It's a medical management trial that uh, um, evaluates early blood pressure lowering treatment in acute intracerebral hemorrhage. It's the biggest hemorrhage trial ever done. Uh, more than 2,800 patients enrolled. Enrollment will stop as of this week. And so uh, we are hopeful to be able to establish uh, blood pressure management as a new recommendation uh, when we see the results uh, early next year. You've been listening to an interview with Rustam Elshai Selman and Christian Staff who opened this year's Stroke Society Australasia Conference with Intracerebral Hemorrhage. They were speaking to Carmen Lave Jenkins, Managing Editor of the International Journal of Stroke. The International Journal of Stroke is the flagship publication of the World Stroke Organization. Please consider becoming a member.